Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and I'm back with part two of our examination of not only the potential impact that Eric Gilbert can have on the 2021 Georgia offense, but how the Bulldog offense can evolve this season with skilled players like Eric Gilbert, Jermaine Burton, Arian Smith, Marcus Rosemey Jackson, Darnell Washington, Brock Bowers, and the list goes on and on to become a more productive, more explosive, and really just generally a more modern college offense. Just catch up with the times, right? The offense that we've been begging for for years now. Specifically like, oh, I don't know, the the two best offenses of the last two seasons, the LSU offense of 2019 and Alabama's offense from last year, who, oh, by the way, they also both just happened to win each of the last two national titles. All right, are you guys ready to move on and talk some football? Uh, I know I am here because we are diving deep today on our last scheme theme episode of the summer. I've had a ton of fun doing these and I'm gonna make sure that we're gonna go out the right way today. We're gonna have a a lot of different layers to this episode. And again, the, the impetus for this, I guess the overarching idea is, okay, how can Eric Gilbert impact the Georgia offense? But I want to go beyond that today too. I want to look at just how our, our offense can evolve in general to become more modern and take advantage of some of the offensive innovations that we've seen develop over the past five, 10 years or so that we haven't really taken advantage of to this point, at least not taking advantage of to the degree that I think that we should be taking advantage of some of these things. And last week in part one, I focused on how Eric Gilbert's presence as a hybrid skill player with the ability to serve multiple roles within our offense would give us the ability to operate, again, if we so choose to, because we don't know what our offensive staff is going to do, but if we choose to, I think it's going to give us the ability to operate in a fashion similar to how that very dynamic, record-breaking 2019 LSU offense operated. And no, as I said last week, I'm not predicting our offense is going to produce at that level. I think we're going to see a more dynamic George offense than we ever have before, as I've said a couple times in the past month or so, but I'm still not ready to say that we're going to operate at that level. But with Gilbert, with guys like Gilbert, Darnell Washington, Brock Bowers, James Cook, 
we have the type of hybrid skill players that will allow us to dictate favorable matchups from our ability to, to really run any set, any formation, any play, all with the same five skill players without ever having to sub. And that is the key to what LSU was doing in 2019. Sure, there's more to it than that. It's not necessarily that simple, but that was really what made them so hard to defend because whatever personnel group the defense chooses to roll with on any given series to attack the LSU offense, well, they had answers for them. And I think you can say the same thing about our offense this year. Whatever personal grouping the defense chooses to roll with on, on any given series, if we run the offense with tempo, like LSU did in 2019, we're going to have answers for it because we have guys on offense that can do different things. And if we never take them off the field, LSU can't sub and get their specialized packages on the field. Well, our guys can still do multiple things, serve multiple roles. And it is incredibly difficult to deal with defensively. And Eric Gilbert is a big part of that. But today, we are going to discuss how Gilbert can be a major factor and also helping us operate like the best offense from last season, which, of course, at least as far as I'm concerned, was the Alabama Crimson Tide. We all saw that up close and personal. Was it last October when we went to, to Tuscaloosa and didn't end so well, right? But to explain how we can and should operate more like the Bama offense from last season, I think I need to first explain how their offense was built and what exactly it was that allowed them really to be essentially unstoppable last year. And guys, it's all about RPOs. It's all about RPOs. That's certainly not all that they did. But that was the foundation of what they did under Steve Sarkeesian. And with as much success as they had doing it, I know Sark has moved on. He's taken the head coaching job at Texas. But as much success as they had doing it, you got to imagine that their new coordinator, Bill O'Brien, coming from the NFL ranks, used to be at Penn State. You got to imagine he's going to keep that train rolling. And if he doesn't, like, he's an idiot. But honestly, I don't think that Nick Saban's let him stray too far from that when they've had as much success doing what they've been doing as they've had the past couple of years. So let's talk about RPOs here for a few minutes. What are RPOs? That's a term that it's really become omnipresent on fall Saturdays these days. Like, it's really hard to watch a game without someone saying, like, that buzzword, RPO, RPO, right? But I want to make sure everyone like really understands exactly what an RPO is and also how to identify it because I still see and hear a lot of misunderstanding out there regarding exactly what an RPO is, uh, even among the TV broadcasters. And those guys are paid like the big bucks, right, to, to know those things. And I still hear some misunderstanding there from time to time. So let's get into that a little bit here. And let's start with the basics. As I'm sure most of you know, like you guys know this, this is RPO basics, right? RPO 101. RPO, what does it stand for? It stands for run pass option. Simple. We know that, right? Now, one misconception out there, if it's called a run pass option, one misconception I still hear from time to time out there is that RPOs are for dual threat quarterbacks. I think some people still have that impression. Like that's just what dual threat quarterbacks run. They run the run pass option, right? And I'm not saying that dual threat quarterbacks don't run RPOs, but because of course they do. If you play quarterback at the college level, you're probably running some form of RPOs. And there are a multitude of different ways to run and read RPOs, but RPO doesn't necessarily mean like some people think that the quarterback has the option to throw it or run it himself. Like back in the day in NCAA football, you guys know what I'm talking about, where you find just the fastest quarterback that you could recruit and you put him under center 
even if his passing rating, say he should be like third string, like, you know what? Yeah, so what? He might be a 72 overall, but he's like a 91 speed. I'm gonna put him at quarterback because I know what I wanna do with him. So you put him under under center, you call whatever play you want with, with a wide receiver running some sort of vertical route. You roll, what do you do? You roll the quarterback out, right? And you read the defense. If the defense is playing man coverage, everyone chases a wide receiver, has the back to the quarterback. What do you do with that speedy quarterback? You're, yeah, you take off, you run it. If they're in zone, well, you put that flat defender in conflict and you read them. If that flat defender drops the wide receiver, well, that creates space and a void there in the flat and you run the quarterback. If the DB comes forward to attack the quarterback, take away the the run, well, you throw it over his head. Boom, RPO, let's go, right? And, and yeah, sure, there are still teams who do a little of that. I'm not gonna say they don't exist, but RPOs are actually... Like in reality, they're more beneficial for teams that don't have mobile quarterbacks that opposing defenses have to account for in the run game. Like with a dual threat quarterback in a zone read scheme, you can leave a defender unblocked on run plays because the quarterback is reading him to decide whether he's going to hand it off to the running back or pull himself. Right? They have that mesh point, right? I'm going to hand it off. I'm going to pull it and take it off, take off myself. And what that does, like when you can read a defender and leave him literally leave him unblocked. That allows the offense to operate with a plus one in the box because the offensive lineman that otherwise would have been dedicated to blocking that backside defensive end or that play side uh, a defensive tackle, well, now that offensive lineman or that offensive player, whoever's going to block that guy, he can go block somebody else. Gives you a plus one, all right? That's what makes the, the zone read so effective. Well, offensive coordinators with traditional dropback passers, like they're watching football, they're seeing the trends and they saw the benefits of being plus one in the box. And they're like, well, cool. We want that too. Like we want to find a way to simulate the ability to, to leave a defender unblocked by optioning off him. But how do we do that without a quarterback who poses a run threat? And like, it, yeah, sure. It might be a revolutionary idea and it's completely changed the face of football because I really think it has but this RPO concept is really simple when you think about it. So if you don't have a, if you want an option off of a defender to leave him unblocked to get a numbers advantage in the box, but you don't have the quarterback that poses a run threat to do that, well, how can you still do that? Well, you just use the strengths of that traditional drop back passer. And instead of having two run reads, either the running back runs it or the quarterback runs it, you now have a run option where you hand off to the running back and a pass option where the quarterback pulls it, but instead of running it himself, he's now going to throw the ball. That's the run pass option, right? So what's quarterback doing? He's he's still reading a defender. It, it could be the defensive end. It could be the inside linebacker. It could be a safety. It's really what Alabama does a lot of. It could be the nickelback. It could be whoever you want it to be, whoever that indicator is on defense. And teams, different teams do it different ways. And whoever, but whoever that indicator is, the guy you're reading, if he crashes or triggers against the run, the quarterback pulls it from the mesh and throws it to a wide receiver who is running into the space that's now vacated by the defender that the offense is reading. If that defender is slowed by his pass coverage responsibilities and he doesn't react enough to the run, well, you just hand off the running back. As an offense, you have now created either a plus one in the run game or a plus one in the pass game, depending on what that read defender does. And as long as the quarterback and the wide receivers read it correctly, it is exceptionally difficult to stop because again, you have effectively created a numbers advantage either on the ground or through the air. You just got to read it right. And then what makes it even more difficult to stop, let's take it another step here, 
is perhaps the most unique aspect of the RPO. And that, of course, is that the offensive line is blocking run on every single RPO call. It's kind of like the inverse of the draw concept of the old school draw, the draw play. The old school traditional draw play works by everyone, including the offensive line, simulating pass, and then the quarterback handing it off the last second. Think about the offensive line, the tackles will take those drop steps like they're coming into pass pro, right? The receivers are acting like they're kind of running some sort of route. The quarterbacks act like he's dropping back to throw it, and then in the last second, he just hands it off to the running back. And ideally, the reason that works is, is because ideally, the defensive line is taking itself out of the play by rushing upfield, rushing the passer, and the linebackers have also dropped in the, into coverage to take care of those coverage responsibilities, thereby leaving a void for the running back to exploit. Well, with the RPO, everyone is doing pretty much the opposite. They're not simulating pass, they're simulating run. The line is always blocking as if it's going to be a run, which makes it extremely difficult for the defense to read and react correctly. It makes that really, really difficult. If you're in the front seven, I mean, a lot of you guys that, that grew up playing football, you know you know what I'm talking about here. If you're in the front seven, you play defense, you're taught from the very beginning, like your earliest days playing football, you're taught to play the run first. So when you see the offensive line firing off the ball, sometimes pulling, but just in general blocking the run, and you see the quarterback then stick the ball in the belly of the running back, well, what are you going to do? 99% of the time, you're going to attack downhill because that's what you've been taught to do from like day one. And And with an RPO, when the linebackers or defensive backs with run fits, when they fly downhill to stop the run, it opens throwing windows behind them. The quarterback will then pull the ball and take advantage of those windows. As long as your offensive line doesn't get four yards down the field, because that's what they give them. They give them four yards, right? And really, let's be real, like a lot of times, like six, seven yards down the field, and the, and the refs just don't call it. They just don't call it. But as long as your offensive line doesn't get four yards down the field in those plays, it's very, very tough to stop because it's a lethal way to put defenders in conflict. That's what offensive football is becoming about, guys. How can we put defenses in conflict? How can we take individual defenders, put them in conflict, and just make them wrong no matter what they choose to do? So these RPO throws, like really, they're, they're kind of opportunity throws. They're very advantageous throws that give you really what should be a free completion if it's read right. So if you're watching a game this fall, or if you're going back and watching some games from last year, and you're trying to determine whether a pass was an RPO or just an old school play action pass with a ball fake, all you have to do is look at the offensive line. That's the telltale sign. If the offensive line is firing off the ball, blocking run, and the quarterback still pulls it and throws it, then generally speaking, it was an RPO. That's what you should be looking for. Now, yeah, some offenses have gotten wise to that, and like they've they've adjusted a little bit, and they're kind of dressing up a little bit. But just generally speaking, if the quarterback throws the football, and the offensive linemen are a couple yards down the field blocking, like they're blocking run, then that was an RPO. If the quarterback did the play fake into the running back's belly, took it and threw the ball, and the offensive line's blocking run, that is an RPO. That's what you should be looking for. That's the telltale sign. So back to the Alabama offense. Under Steve Sarkeesian, and it really started before him, but it took it, but he took it to another level. Uh, but with, with Sark, the Bama offense was built on a foundation of RPOs. That's what they were built on, guys. They were an RPO team. They had a couple of different RPO variations that they ran, but they typically did it with inside zone as the run play, and then they tagged that with a pass play. Now, yeah, they would do some power gap scheme RPOs, 
uh, as well to keep defenses guessing at least a little bit because you don't want to do anything like exclusively. You got to mix up a little bit, dress things up some. But as far as the pass routes, they would tag their RPOs with, with a couple of different routes. The two most common were a speed out and what most people would, would watch and call a slant because it really kind of looks like a slant. But it's not really a slant. It's really what they call a glance route where the wide receiver, what he's doing on this route, he's taking four steps up the field and then just breaking to daylight. That's what Sark calls it. He calls it breaking to daylight. Or more simply put, like just breaking to open grass. This is a Mike Leach concept too. Like going back to the days of uh, Mike Leach, really starting that air raid offense with Hal Mummy, Kentucky, getting that going. Really a big part of what the air raid does is just, hey, run to open grass. Like they give their receivers like, I guess like very loose routes to run. But hey, just really find open grass if they're in zone defense, right? It's kind of like backyard football. And that's kind of what the glance route is. I mean, the receiver is basically told to take four steps up and then I want you to break inside to daylight, find that open grass. And and yeah, that glance route often ends up looking a lot like a slant. But again, it's not really a slant. It's, it's deeper than your typical slant route. And the wide receivers have a little bit of flexibility with how they run it based on the coverage. I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole, but they have a little flexibility there. They call that a glance route. The average fans look at that and say, oh, that's a slant. And when they were running these RPOs, they're almost always reading the safety. Almost always. They'll read the nickel some at times too. It just kind of depends on what the coverage is and how the defense is kind of structured their defense that, that particular day or that particular down. But they read the safety more often than not. He's the indicator. He's the guy they're reading. So to stop a team like Bama or Georgia that also has the ability to run the ball down your throat with their offensive line and their running backs, that's a defensive coordinator you almost have to operate with a lot of single high, what we call middle of the field closed safety looks so that you can rotate one of your safeties into the box and run support. You almost have to do that. Well, Sartre knows that. So his strategy was to option off that safety that rolls into the box. He knows that defense corners have got to get an extra guy in the box to take on the Alabama run game. He knows that with Najee Harris, the offensive line, Alex Leatherwood, all those guys. He knows that. He knew that. So his strategy to kind of counter that was to just option off that safety. He's the guy they're ringing their RPOs. If he triggers against the run, the quarterback's going to pull it and throw it. If that safety hesitates and plays more of his pass responsibilities, well, then what do you do? You just hand to Najee Harris with a really good offensive line. And now you got the numbers advantage in the box. So watch out. Like that's, that's a tough combination for any defense to stop. And their two favorite RPO plays were really, really simple. I mean, guys, RPOs really are simple. Um, but the two favorite routes they ran with these RPOs were a speed out and the glance route, that kind of just detailed. With the speed out, again, simple. If the safety bites on the run, the wide receiver is now one-on-one with the corner and he runs a 10-yard speed out, usually into the boundary from a reduced split. So he has a little more room to operate there. It's simple pitch and catch. When I talk about opportunity throws, advantageous throws, the gimme throws, that's what that is, guys. It's an easy first down. It's an easy first down, easy 10 yards. And then the other RPO variation I like to run is that glance route. And this time, yeah, they're reading the safety. Sometimes it could be the star, but again, generally speaking, it's the safety. If that defender triggers against the run, you run the glance or what you would probably call a slant route. Some of you would call it a slant route. You run that behind him. And if you hit him on the move, he's off to the races. So if you found yourself watching Alabama games last year and wondering like, how in the heck 
are their wide receivers always so open? I mean, how many times do we remark about that, right? I mean, if you were just on Twitter to the National Championship game a couple months ago, I mean, all you can hear is like, everyone knows they're going to throw Devontae Smith, but he still gets open. And yeah, Devontae Smith's a really talented player, and that's a part of it, the fact that he's just a really good route runner, he's got good speed, a great athlete. But the other part of it is they just schemed him open, generally speaking, with the there are RPOs. It's all, and every play that he was open was an RPO, but the RPOs are the foundation of that. Everything else is built off of the RPO game. That's how they were always able to have these crazy good wide receivers just running wide open at will, seemingly almost every single down. All right. I mean, you guys, you, you watched it just like I did last year, just so consistently open. And this is how they were doing it. And how many times would we see them catch those little slant routes or glance routes and they catch it and run. Matt Jones hits them in stride and they're off to the races for 30, 40 yards plus. That's how they're doing that. That's exactly how they did it. You're a podcast listener and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. So that was the basis of their offense, but it certainly did not stop there. Obviously, when Bama is gutting you with RPOs, defensive coordinators are going to try to take that away. You've got to. You've got to try to make them play left-handed, right? So Alabama had to develop answers that would take advantage of and exploit the ways that defenses were trying to take away their base RPOs, that foundational piece of their offense. So what do most defense coordinators do to try to counter RPOs? Well, they play man coverage. It's that simple. That's what they do. I mean, let's think about this. Let's walk through this. You can't play cover two against RPOs because teams like Alabama or Georgia will just run it down your throat that way because they run the ball too well and you don't have enough bodies in the box with two high safeties. With Alabama's offensive line, with Georgia's offensive line, if you have two high safeties and even if the numbers are even in the box, you have to win against that elite offensive line. That's going to be really tough to do on a consistent basis, even for the best defenses. So throw that out. You can't really run cover two and stop RPO. You just can't do it. Well, what about cover three? Okay, well, cover three helps get another defender in the box to support against the run by rolling one of those safeties down. So it helps in that regard. But by doing that, you are really playing right into the offense's hands. That's exactly what they want you to do. Because now what they're going to do is they're just going to make the down safety the read defender. He's now the indicator. And the defense can't be right. So really... The only halfway decent answer to defending RPOs is playing man coverage. That's the only halfway decent answer. It's not a perfect answer, but it's the best answer out there. And and teams will also do something akin to what we do with our middle of the field cheat technique that I detailed in one of the earlier scheme theme episodes. And that is where that remaining single high safety, instead of dropping 20 yards deep at the snap, they're going to shuffle and read at about 10 yards depth. If it's an RPO, like a glance route, they drive on that route. But if not, they just drop to the deep middle like they otherwise would. So with the, in, in that 
technique, the safety is basically robbing the middle of the field. But really, the answer to RPOs has become man coverage because that closes those throwing windows and at least makes most of those balls contested. Like it's something, right? Again, not a perfect answer, but it's kind of an answer. It's the best answer you got right now until defensive coordinators figure out something else to do. Well, if man coverage is going to give you trouble with your RPOs, you have to have answers for that or you have to have layers to your offense, what I call constraint plays. If runs are layer one and RPOs are layer two, what is layer three when defenses try to take away those RPOs, when they try to take away layer one and layer two? And for Bama, this is where they would go for their kill shots. Those vertical routes off of play action that they were hitting on us in the second half last year to pull away. Like, I don't even want to think about that. We all saw those plays, right? I mean, they just run away from our defenders, hitting those vertical shots in the second half, and they pulled away and won the game. We know that happened. We were up at halftime, and then we didn't end up half the end of the game because they started hitting some of those big plays. And of course, they have a couple of different plays that they call to take those shots against man coverage. But one of their favorite plays to do that was a spear concept that they would usually run out of 11 personnel with one running back, one tight end with three wide receivers on the field. And it was the single wide receiver who was usually aligned to the boundary. And he would run a post with one of the backside wide receivers running a deep over or what we call a spear route. I think I talked about that last week on on the LSU episode. And they'll run that spear route at about 20 or so yards across the field. And the other wide receiver is running a dig with the running back. And a dig route is kind of a, it's a, it's a deep end route. And then the running back or tight end is releasing to the flat to create a three-level read. And they read it from high to low with the deep post wide receiver being their number one read. And it's just, that's their progression. And they like, their quarterbacks, it's diff- they do it a little bit differently. Like, their quarterbacks, they don't really read coverages so much when they're going on these play action passes. They're more so just going through their progressions. Is number one open? No. I'll go to number two. Is number two open? No. I'll go to number three. And somewhere along the way, somebody's going to be open, right? They're just not really necessarily reading those coverages. So if the safety bites down on either the dig or the deep over, then they take the, the shot to the deep post, which is their number one read, who is now one-on-one with the cornerback. That's going to be a home run. They hit that a lot. And then at the safety side, you know what? I know I probably have to give up something, but I don't want to give up that big, that big home run play on that deep post. So if he stays deep to take away that post, then the quarterback's eyes are going to go to the middle underneath defender. The number two read in this progression is the spear route or the deep over. If that middle defender hangs underneath that route, then the quarterback checks it down to the flat route, which is the number three read. If the middle defender gets his eyes on the flat route, then the quarterback hits the spear route. All right, that's their progression on that on that play. But it isn't just vertical routes that they use to attack man coverage. They are either going to try to run by you on those vertical routes. They'll do that against man coverage, or they're going to run away from you on rub routes or what the defense would call pick plays. Remember the Florida game last year? Yeah, we all remember that. So Bama, like they, last year they would run mesh, which is two wide receivers crossing in the middle of the field and picking each other's defenders. It's a core air raid play um, popularized by Mike Leach, of course, but it, it's a part of every offense now. Every offense runs this play. So they're going to run mesh, but they'll also make great use of their running back out of the backfield. On their version of mesh, they actually call it railroad. They're going to run their running back on a wheel route. And, and think about this, guys. Again, how many times did you see Najee Harris do that last year? That dude had 80 catches for almost 800 yards over the last two seasons, averaging about 10 yards a catch. It's so simple. It's so, so simple, but it's so lethal and so effective at the same time. 
in the past few years, Alabama, like they've been an RPO team that wants to run the football if the defense is going to sit back in a two-eye safety look and try to take away those vertical shots and let them run the ball. But let's get into the mind of an offensive coordinator in that system. Here's the thought process. It starts with this. We want to run the football, okay? That's what we want to do. When you decide to play with two high safeties, we are going to run the football. We will take that all day. Now, eventually, you're going to get tired of getting gashed on the ground. And when that happens, I know that you are going to add a safety to the box. That's what you're going to do to try to add numbers against against the run. So when you do that, we're going to hit you with our RPO game. Eventually, you're going to get tired of getting gashed with the RPOs that you're going to start to play aggressive man coverage with really hard inside leverage to take away those RPO windows on the slants and the out routes, those speed outs. So what am I going to do when you do that? I got to have an answer, right? Well, it's simple. I'm just going to attack man coverage downfield off of play action. And I'm going to hit you for chunk play after chunk play after chunk play. And eventually, you're going to get tired of that. So what are you going to do while setting up those play action vertical shots? That takes a little more time, right? The offensive line has to hold up a little longer in pass pro. The play has to develop out there. So what's the defense going to do? Yeah, they're going to bring the pressure and try to get to my quarterback before he can release the ball. All right, cool. So now I've just got to get the ball out of my quarterback's hands a little bit quicker. So how am I going to do that? I'm going to run crossing rub routes all day long to get my athletes in space on the run with the ball in their hands against fewer defenders and pass coverage. Good night. You can't hold up a man coverage. I'm either going to run by you or I'm going to run away from you. Run by you the vertical routes, run away from you on those crossing routes. And in man coverage with my athletes that I get at the University of Georgia or in Bama's case at the University of Alabama, you can't keep up with that consistently. So that's the Bama offense in a nutshell. Sure, they obviously run more than just what I detailed there. I can't go over every single play they run. Honestly, I don't know every single play they run. But that's the thought process and the foundation of what Alabama has done the past couple of years under Steve Sarkeesian to be so dynamic and explosive offensively. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, so let's now connect this to Eric Gilbert and the 2021 Georgia offense as a whole. This is not a Bama podcast. I, I know I spent a lot of time kind of going over what Bama has done in the past couple of years to become so dynamic offensively. But I, I did that because I wanted to lay out what they do so that I could explain to you how I think Gilbert can help us do a lot of the same things. I felt that was a necessary starting point. But first, let me say this. 
I just invested quite a bit of time going over RPOs. So let me say this about RPOs. In my opinion, it will be an absolute travesty if we do not take advantage of the RPO game this season. Yeah, we've run RPOs in the past. I, I'm not here to say that we have not. Yeah, of course we have. Everyone runs RPOs to a degree. Even going back to Jim Chaney, we were running some RPOs. But it's just never been a big part of what we've done, at least not a big enough part of what we've done, in my opinion. And it's something that I have been screaming about for years, and it's something that I think needs to change this season. I really do. When you are as good as we are running the football, when you have the offensive line we do, and the running back unit that we do, all those guys, it just defies logic as to why the RPO game has not been more of a feature part of our offense. In fact, the feature part of our offense, like Alabama, has been the past couple of years. I mean, they are they are an RPO team, guys. That's what Alabama has been. I mean, think about all the times that you have seen teams just absolutely stack the box against us and outnumber us in the box, right? How many times, how many times have you seen an unblocked backside defender chase down our running backs before, before they ever have a chance to get going? How many times have you seen that? How many times has it looked like our backs are just running into a mass of bodies aimlessly to fight for what, two, three, maybe four yards, right? Far too many times for my liking, that's for sure. And all of that can be fixed, at least to a large degree, it can be fixed with the RPO game. It's not rocket science. It's really not. Now, even if that means that we run it a few less times a game, like I know that I know the thought process. Like, okay, well, what's our strength offensively? Well, we have these great offensive linemen. We have these awesome running backs. We have marginally talented quarterbacks and, and a good receiver or two, but not a ton of skill talent out wide. So what are we going to do? We're going to run the football. Well, that kind of made sense in 2017. You know, you have a freshman quarterback in Jake Fromm. You've got Sonny Michelle. you got Nick Chubb, two all-timers running back and a great offensive line. You've got two future first-rounders in Isaiah Wynn and Andrew Thomas. Yeah, it made sense, at least more so, in 2017 that we're going to run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. Uh, To a degree, you have to build it around your personnel. I kind of get it there. But that hasn't really necessarily been the case the past couple years, all right? And it absolutely will not be the case this year. Yeah, we still have great players in the offensive line. We still have awesome running backs. But we also have some incredible skill talent like Eric Gilbert. Even if it means a philosophy shift, even if it means that as an offensive staff, and even with Kirby Smart, you can't completely absolve him of responsibility here. Ultimately, it is his show, right? We know he's got his fingerprints all over everything with his football team. So even if it is a philosophy shift, even if it means getting outside of our comfort zone, we've got to do it. Even if it means we run the ball a few times less a game, that's okay because it makes those runs more effective and more efficient because we are going to give our running backs opportunities to actually run the ball into favorable boxes, which is not something that has exactly been our calling card the past couple years. And look, guys, I know, like, I, I, I understand all of our offensive coaches, they are far smarter than me. They know far more about football than I do. I will certainly, certainly acknowledge that. But just, you know, just looking at it from my perspective here, as I've laid out, I just, I haven't really quite been able to understand why we haven't leveraged RPOs more to this point. And this is where I really think Gilbert can play a major role for our offense and help us use RPOs as more of a foundational piece like Alabama, which will in turn open up the downfield passing game more 
for guys like Jermaine Burton, Arian Smith, obviously, Kiaris Jackson, all those guys. And, and as I laid out earlier, what defenses generally resort to in order to counter RPOs is aggressive in-your-face press man coverage to try to close those throwing windows. And that is where Eric Gilbert really excelled last year, making those contested catches. According to Pro Football Focus, his contested catch rate last year was fantastic. It was 57%. Now, you might be thinking, that's, that doesn't sound that great. I mean, that's a little over half. That's not great. But guys, we're talking about the 50-50 balls, right? If it's a 50-50 ball and you're like, oh, I don't know, above 50%, that's good. I mean, that was actually just 3% below George Pickens last year at 60%. And we all know how great George was at making those contested catches, right? And a contested catch doesn't actually mean like a jump ball, but just a contested ball where the defender's draped all over you and you've got to go make a play. Pickens was exceptional at that. That's one of the things that made George so good. And we talked about, well, we've got to replace George somehow. And look, I'm not saying Eric Gilbert is not quite the athlete, George Pickens is. Now he's a bigger jumbo athlete, so you know you got to throw that in there as well. So he doesn't do all the things that George did, but making those contested catches, that's something where he can really, really help us. And, and to some degree, a large degree, I think, help replace what we're missing with George there this year in those contested catches. And to give you a little bit further of a frame of reference here, our tight ends last year, or all the tight ends on our team last year, actually all of our tight ends and wide receivers last year, according to Pro Football Focus, they all combined for a 25% contested catch rate. So not only George Pickens, but also Eric Gilbert doubled up what all of our other tight ends and wide receivers did combined last year. So I just got done talking about how it might've been a little bit of a personal thing, why maybe we weren't running as many RPOs. So maybe that is part of this, right? And again, we did run RPOs last year, but just not to the, to the degree that some of the elite offenses in the country are doing it. But I think Eric Gilbert can really help us take care of that issue. And once he gets the ball in space on those RPOs, watch out. How many defensive backs are going to be able to take him down one-on-one? If he makes that contested catch, can you take him down? If you're one-on-one, can you do it? I don't think a lot of them can. We saw it at LSU last year when he was a freshman. When you get him moving across the field, and you hit him in stride where he is able to continue his momentum, he is a runaway freight train, like a bull in a china shop, whatever idiom you want to throw out there. So get him in space like that with room to run, and he's going to make teams pay. He's going to. That is where he will excel. That is how he can produce explosive plays. He's not, as we've said a couple times this offseason since he announced his transfer, he's not a burner. He's not necessarily a guy that's going to destroy you on those on those vertical routes. He's not like an Arian Smith type guy, but he can still produce explosive plays just in his own way, and that's how he's going to do it. I mean, think about how many times you saw Jalen Waddell or Jerry Judy or Devontae Smith or Henry Ruggs take one of those 10-yard RPO glance routes that I talked about earlier and take them for 40 or 50 yards. Just get hit in stride and just keep on going, right? That's what Gilbert can do. Now, he doesn't have the speed of those guys. He'll do it in a different way, but he can give us that in his own way. And, and sure, yeah, he can run a back shoulder with, with his body type and, and kind of block defenders out and be a red zone weapon. But like I said, he's just not a guy that's going to be taking the top off the defense consistently. That's just not what he's going to be doing. The RPO game is where he could really, really help us. And by helping us there, what he's going to do is create opportunities for our other skill players with more home run speed guys, again, like Jermaine Burden, Arian Smith, Kiaris, all those guys create opportunities for them to take the top off of defenses and create explosive plays. 
let's get back in the offensive coordinator mindset real quick, right? Want to roll a safety down in the box to gain numbers against our run game? Cool. We're going to RPO you. You want to run aggressive press man to take away our RPO game? Cool. We're still going to throw them because we know we have this big, huge body in Eric Gilbert with wide receiver skills who can use that body to still win and make those contested catches. We'll want to risk using the single high safety to rob the middle of the field to even further close those windows. All right, cool. You can try that, but you still got to be able to defend those vertical routes. You've got to. So we're just going to run deep posts, spear routes, and fades on you all day long because that safety that you now have robbing the middle of the field, well, he can't recover and get over the top fast enough to cover guys like Arian Smith and Jermaine Burton and Marcus Roseby Jackson and Kiaris Jackson on all those vertical routes. Guys, it's exactly what Alabama did to us last year in that game in October. It's exactly what they did to us. And with Gilbert, along with our run game, also along with the talented group of wide receivers and tight ends that we have now amassed, we have the personnel to do the exact same thing to teams this year. We have the personnel. We might not have Najee Harris on the team. Okay, sure. I'll give you that. First round draft pick. But we have as good of a running back unit as any team in America. We really do. So don't tell me that we can't run the ball on teams if they let us. We've been doing that since the start of the Kirby Smart era. And I'm also not going to sit here and say that we have Devontae Smith or Jalen Waddle on our roster. I'm not going to say we have those kind of guys yet. Our guys have to prove it. I'm open to the idea that they can become those kind of wide receivers, but they got to prove it for sure. But we have guys with those skill sets. Like I know he's young and he hasn't proved on the field yet, hasn't played all that much. I think what he played seven snaps last year, but with his skill set, why can't Arian Smith be Jalen Waddle? Why can't he? We've seen him this offseason put up monster numbers on the track, put up numbers that Jalen Waddle can't put up on the track. We know he's got that kind of Jalen Waddle speed plus some. Why can't Jermaine Burton be Devontae Smith? I'm not saying Jermaine Burton's going to win the Heisman Trophy. Devontae Smith played for Alabama, put up massive numbers, really helped him with Jalen Waddle going out, so he got even more numbers to put up. And he was a great receiver, taking nothing away from him. But why can't Jermaine Burton be him? Why can't Jermaine Burton do some of those things? Yeah, I absolutely think he can. He's got a very similar skill set. Those guys are incredible talents. The Waddles, the Smiths, all those guys are. And yeah, as I said, our wide receivers still have to grow. They got to prove it. But Arian Smith is faster than Jalen Waddle. Jermaine Burton can run routes very similarly to Devontae Smith. And they didn't have close to the group of tight ends that we have coming into this season. And they certainly did not have the depth at wide receiver that we had. Now, they had two really incredible players on that top line of their wide receiver unit, but there was very, very little depth there. I mean, you saw what happened. Devontae Smith goes down. Jalen Wall goes down. Like You got Slade Bolden out there. Like That's the guy you're going to count on? We have more depth. We have more bodies there, and we have tight ends that they just don't have, that they didn't have last year, at least the past couple years. So I know that this is going to sound blasphemous. I know this is going to sound crazy. I hear myself talking. I know how this sounds. And I know some of you are going to sit there and say, oh, he's just a homer. There he goes again. There he goes. And just tune me out. But just listen, I mean, I've, I've tried to lay it out here schematically, but I think we have more overall offensive talent than even Bama did last year. Yes, I did just say that. And I know that sounds crazy. And no, I don't think that we necessarily have the top line guys like Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle, maybe not even Najee Harris. Although I think a big part of what Najee Harris's success was contributed to was really just the scheme he was in and how much, how many opportunities he had with the other guys around him. Good running back, very good running back. But I think some of our guys can do some of, some of those same things and really not be that far off of what Najee Harris gave Alabama. So 
I mean, I really do, guys. I think we have more overall. If you look at our entire offensive roster, I think we have more overall offensive talent than even Alabama did last year. Yeah, they had a great offensive line. They had one great running back. That's really what they had. They had one great running back. He was great, but it was one. They had two great wide receivers. And again, we might not have a wide receiver that proves to be as good as Devontae Smith or as good as Jalen Waddell, but we have more of them. We have more depth and we have more guys that can do different things like Darnell Washington, and Eric Gilbert. And now we have the quarterback as well to run these things. There is quite simply no excuse for us to not start taking advantage of some of the things that other offenses around the country have been taking advantage of for years now. We've been behind the eight ball. We have. We absolutely have. And that's it's time to change that. There's no reason for us to be stuck in 2002 anymore. We have the wide receivers. We have the running backs. We have the tight ends. We have the offensive line. We have the quarterback. And now I think we have the offensive coordinator too. Personnel, that can't be, that cannot be an excuse anymore. That can't be. This should be the best offense in Georgia history. We need it to be the best offense in Georgia history. We just got to go out and do it. Only time will tell but it's there for the taking. It's absolutely there for the taking. But all right, guys, that's it for me today here on the Glory UJ podcast. And that's it for our scheme theme episodes, at least for this summer. They will be back next offseason. We've got a lot of great feedback on them this time around. And I really haven't had a chance to get to all the questions that we're sending. And I apologize to those of you who have who've sent in questions I haven't really had a chance to really go in depth with. I think what I will do, won't be a, I can't call it a full on scheme theme episode, but we're going to do a scheme theme mail bag, I think in a, within the next week or two, where I just go back and kind of spend a little bit of time answering the questions that we're sending that I have not had a chance to really get to more in depth. So at least we're giving you guys something. We're not ignoring those questions that we're sending because I don't want to ignore those questions that we're sending. We value all you guys and appreciate you interacting with us and sending your questions in. But it's been a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed it. I hope you guys have enjoyed it. I know it's it's a lot of information to throw out there at you, but as, as, a, as big of a football fan as I am, one of the things that's always frustrated me is that it's really hard to find like this kind of hardcore information that's really targeted and directed at the hardcore fan. It's hard to find that kind of stuff. Most stuff you find, I don't say it's necessarily fluffy. A lot of it is, but it's kind of directed more towards the casual fan. It's it's almost like the media outlets out there, they kind of insult the fans that really live and breathe football. It's kind of insulting the way they cover it at times. So it's, that, that's something that's always been frustrating to me. So I don't know. I just I kind of feel like they talk down to fans sometimes. Like they just, they assume that football fans just don't really know much beyond the basics. And I, I don't want to do that to you guys. I want to give you guys the hardcore nuts and bolts stuff. And I've had a ton of fun doing it. I just love talking football. So yeah, I hope you guys have enjoyed it. And yeah, I did tell you earlier in the week. I know, I know, I know. I apologize, guys. I told you earlier in the week, I was going to try my best to get three episodes in this week so that I could get the Clemson scouting the enemy episode in. Like I had been teasing for a couple of weeks and I've been trying guys, but I just don't think I'm going to be able to make that happen this week because I'm going to be out of pocket the last couple days of the week. This episode took a while to put together and my in-laws are moving later in the week. So I'm, I got to be up there helping them with that. But you can hold me to this. We are kicking off the Scouting the Enemy series next week with as in-depth of a look at the Clemson Tigers as you will find anywhere. I've seen all the DMs. I've seen all the emails coming in asking for the episode 
asking when it's happening. And I promise, I promise it's coming next week by Thursday, all right? I promise that. By Thursday of next week, it is coming. And there's also, I don't know if you guys have heard about this, but there's a rumor I've heard going around that there may or may not be a Charlie sighting next week. I don't know. Who knows? We'll see. But I've heard a rumor going around. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. But anyway, thanks for listening, guys. I really do appreciate it. Hope you guys have an awesome weekend. And we will be back for you guys next week with another great week of Georgia football content. I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs.